0: Recovery Elevator, episode 262. But without that complete surrender for me, I would have never embarked on this journey of recovery.
1: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast episode, we've got Vinny, and you guys are in for a treat. I heard his Zen master teachings in person while in Thailand, and I knew I had to get him on the podcast. He's 61 years old, from Bangkok, Thailand, took his last drink 9.5 years ago, and when you hear the phrase calm as a cucumber, you're gonna think of Vinny from here on out. Oh yeah, and I wanna give a shout out to my cousin Kirk for just hitting two years alcohol free Kirk, cannot wait to celebrate with you at future holidays, future family reunions. Kirk, you are the man. And guys, registration is now open for the Recovery Elevator live event, Dancing with the Mind, which takes place in Denver, Colorado at the Hilton Garden Inn, Thursday, June 11th to Saturday, June 13th. You'll learn how to create your future happy, wholesome, authentic self that no longer needs alcohol and draw it to you like a magnet in the present moment. We'll be doing live group meditations where you'll learn how to raise your energy in the sweet spot of the present moment. You'll build lifelong in-person connections with others who don't drink as well. This event, like all Recovery Elevator events, is going to be fun, and I hope to see you there. Go to recoveryelevator.com for more information and to register. Oh yeah, spouses or significant others are invited to this event, and there will be specific breakout sessions for them as well. They need their healing in addition, and this is a collaborative healing effort. It takes a whole community to build the vitality and wholeness needed to ditch the booze. Listeners, this is my first episode. I'm recording back at the Recovery Elevator home base in Bozeman, Montana. Doing the Recovery Elevator podcast on the road for the past three months in Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, Thailand, and Cambodia was an incredible experience, one that I will never forget. But the hardest part, by far, was being away from my dog Ben, and it was so good seeing him upon my arrival. He hasn't left my side since I've been back. He's like, Paul, if you go again, you're taking me with you, promise me and check out the recovery elevator instagram channel for a quick video of me reuniting with ben after three months on the road the last part of the trip we had a recovery elevator asia adventure alcohol free trip which you've heard me chattering about for the past five to six months we had 28 total rock stars who began the trip alcohol free in bangkok the sin city of the world And we finished with 28 badasses in Siem Reap, Cambodia, alcohol-free. Correction. A gentleman on the trip had to go home to take care of an emergency with one of his businesses, but it had nothing to do with him drinking on the trip, and it was a difficult decision for him to make. So if we do lose one, I'm okay with that. So I'm going to share with you the secret sauce behind the magic of these alcohol-free trips, or our retreats, our meetups, etc. At first... I thought I was getting lucky, blessed by the sobriety gods and there was no way I could duplicate or replicate the magic for the next event. But the next event was even more magical than the first one. So here's what's happening. First off, the camaraderie of an alcohol free journey is so strong. You get 10, 20, 50, 100 people together whose most important paramount goal in life is to ditch the booze and also purge their story from them in whatever fashion necessary, then bonds will happen fast. After about four or five hours at a recovery elevator event, it's like day seven at summer camp. It happens every event. These bonds are so tight that people solidify them with tattoos. In fact, I wish I had a tattoo count. Dozens maybe dozens of dozens of tattoos have been placed on people who have attended recovery elevator events So beware. Here's a here's a warning now. I don't have any tattoos, but I do still need to get one of a howler monkey Okay, here's the second thing that's happening I make an effort to put people in situations where they come at it with a higher level of presence when we drink alcohol we dip or lower in consciousness When you're in a new country with new smells, tastes, languages, dances, garbs, color, sights, sounds, and record amounts of people on scooters where the thinking mind hasn't quite categorized things as good, bad, or the default mode network in your brain hasn't quite had a chance to label or store things in the unconscious part of the brain, then we raise our consciousness and are more present than ever. Addictions happen and grow roots when we depart from the present moment. So coming back to this level of presence removes us from the addiction, which feels good. Okay, and a third thing happens is you're challenged. I will personally find ways to challenge you at these events. You overcome things you didn't think you could. And after, keyword after, it feels good knowing that you overcame a big obstacle or challenge. On the trip, we call this a Pikachu moment where you find yourself way outside your comfort zone. And there, you find out you're not going to die despite what the mind is telling you. And you're also going to release energy that's been stored for years during breath work or during a workshop. All this takes courage and it was an absolute honor to see so many people blasting through these Pikachu moments. At our retreats, everyone has a chance to share their story. And I saw my favorite share to date at a campfire on day two. A gal named Marisa completely cracked open. She gave herself permission to let down her guard. It all came out and it was so beautiful. Great job Marisa. On this trip, we saw and did so much. Highlight of the trip for me, a full on water fight with elephants. I saw an elephant suck up water in his trunk and blast it in my friend Dusty's face. He's episode 204. On one of the bus rides to the Cambodian countryside, we all got to listen to episode 258 where the interviewee Scott was on the bus. That was a special moment for me. It's not every day that gets to happen. On the trip, we saw monkeys, temples, rivers, bats, snakes, rats that sniff out landmines. We biked through Bangkok and Siem Reap. We planted trees. We cooked food and fed elephants who have been rescued from circuses poachers and unsustainable lands due to human development. We stayed in a Khmer homestay where they spoke no English and we only know hello and thank you in Khmer, but we were still able to communicate. A group of us even ended up at a Cambodian wedding during the homestay. And words cannot describe visiting Anger Wat, one of the world's most impressive archaeological sites. You could almost feel the spiritual energy at Anger Wat. We memorized a word each day in a song of sorts to remind us of the trip. And there's a video on Instagram of us singing this chant on the bus. Check it out. It's pretty funny. Okay, let's get started. Everything is constantly changing. The seasons, your emotional states, your age, fashion. In fact, I saw a guy wearing a bright romper in Australia, and I don't know if he lost a bet or that's the newest fashion trend. Music is constantly changing. Disco was a thing, and now it's not. You are always changing whether you know it or like it or not. With cell regeneration, you have a completely new body every seven years. Let's bring the podcast title in for a quick analogy. You're either going up or down the elevator in levels of consciousness. You're either building circuits or adding new blockages to your energy field. You're either processing past traumas or adding more energy to it. You're either detaching from your story or or adding more plots and narratives to it you're evolving on this journey or taking steps backward we can go real simple with this you're drinking or you're not you're recovering the person you're meant to be or adding additional layers of muck and grime to your true authentic self do we need one more nah i think we got it so i got the idea for this episode while volunteering at hope rehab i want to keep this podcast positive and upbeat which i think i've done a good job of I 100% believe an alcohol-free is an opportunity of a lifetime, and that it's not a no to alcohol, but a hell yes to a better life. But let's get real for a second. With an addiction, especially one to the most dangerous drug on the planet, alcohol, it's either gaining momentum or you're lessening the energetic bonds of the addiction. What I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is the listener is someone who has become aware Of their drinking at an optimal stage as in things could get much worse for many of you rehab or any formal treatment isn't on the table yet and I want to keep it that way for you but you have to do the work listen up this is me telling you I want you to block time every day for you to do the work it's okay to be selfish with this and put yourself first once again do the work If you don't do the work now, then you may find yourself at a later date in a situation where you're up against a seemingly insurmountable amount of work to do. Do you dig? Do you hear me? Is this making sense with you guys? I know that statements like this are for the most part useless, as in fear or the vibrational frequency behind the inspiration isn't effective at all, but I still want to mention it. If the work isn't done now, then at a later date, it may feel like you've got four years of college homework and a grad school thesis on your plate, all due by next Tuesday. And real quick, be careful with the word work. I call it Pablo time or bliss work. Sure, there will be times when it does feel like work, when you gotta clock in, when the last thing you want to do is log into CafeRE and post about the intense craving you're experiencing at the moment. Or waking up at 5:30 a.m. for your 6 a.m. yoga class but keep navigating this until you find work that resonates with you I love me some sit time that's not even work to me I absolutely love it and if you tell yourself you've got a lot of work to do then guess what you've got a lot of work to do so be careful you don't start building an unconscious program that says hey Tina we've got so much work to do that we can't approach life from a stance of wholeness until this laundry list of work is finished. Take each work session as if it's the last. Another thing to consider, you'll find yourself on the hedonic treadmill of seeking, seeking the next workshop, podcast episode, quit lit book, diet, YouTube video, meetup, breathing technique, meditation, practice or astrological guidance for that nugget or value bomb that will make you happy. There will come a time when you need to stop seeking, and that time can be whenever you decide. And while you're doing the work, and this is very important, consciously tell yourself you're doing this work out of love for yourself and not out of fear that if you skip this work, something bad will happen. Guys, this is uber important. So what is the work? And I encourage you not to get pigeonholed on a fixed coursework path or journey. It looks different for everyone, and there are infinite ways to do this. On top of the countless ways mentioned in the previous 261 episodes, let's cover some. We've got meditation, journaling, float tanks, breath work, plant medicine, AA, work with a counselor, yoga, smart recovery, online alcohol-free communities, in-person meetups with other sober people, retreats, a hobby that puts you into a flow state, travel, exercise, reading quit lit books, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, EMDR, brain spotting, kale smoothies, colonics, the keto diet, perineum sunning, acupuncture, hypnotherapy, intermittent fasting, activated charcoal, silent meditation retreats, replacing everything with cauliflower, cryotherapy, equine therapy, third eye blind therapy, I just made that one up, fetch with a dog, Reverse interventions, burning the ships, elimination diets, jade rollers, salt water cleansing, refuge recovery, and so much more. Gosh, that was a lot, and I could have kept on going for another 10 minutes. So whatever it is you're finding traction with, keep on doing the work. And again, focus on the action and not the results. You hear that line about once every 10 podcasts, but that's a big one. So when is the most important time to do the work? when you don't feel like you have to do the work. When you're on that pink cloud, that's the absolute best time to do the work. It's not a good time to fix the roof when it's raining. The work I'm most intrigued with at the moment, I taught a workshop on the Asia adventure trip where we took six feel good songs and paired them with six clear intentions. It's important we pick songs that give us a good chance to elevate our energy while listening to them. These can be songs from high school or college, that already spark a feel-good emotion. Then we get super clear on a goal in life, for example, running a marathon. And then while listening to that song, we bring in one to two crystal clear images or a quick mind movie of us running that marathon. And you place that intention, that goal, that desire into the quantum field or the perceived empty space in front of you. And then the external field will align to make this goal a reality. This is a quantum law. We're conditioning the body and mind to feel a future before it happens. So it's like stepping into a more familiar known when it arrives. I've been doing this work for several months now, and the things I'm seeing come back to me are astounding. You will literally become a new person if you do the work. At the closeout session, I asked the people by a show of hands who has done the work or listen to their six songs and place those six clear intentions out to the universe. And I think everyone raised their hands. I was pumped. It made me happy. They are doing the work. And I have no doubt many still are. I'm also doing the work. I did that same exercise almost every day on the retreat. And I've done it almost every day since I've been back. So my departing value bomb is do the work. Find work you enjoy doing. Make it into a routine and go create the future you. And before we hear from Vinny, let's hear from today's sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, To try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R. ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
0: Vinny, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. And uh, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, of course, listeners, you guys are in for a treat. Number one, we're doing this interview in front of each other. And I love doing these interviews in this format. I feel the energy is different. We can see each other face to face. It's more of an intimate conversation. And number two, I am volunteering here at Hope Rehab. I've been here for the past nine days. It's been an awesome experience. I've been a sponge. They've let me sit down on workshops, presentations, talks, etc. And this last Friday I attended one of Vinny's talks. And after about five minutes of hearing Vinny speak, I said, wait a second. I got to get this guy on the podcast. He was dropping too many value bombs for me even to keep up with my pen and paper. So let's get into this, but let's cover the nuts and bolts first. Vinny, when was your last drink?
0: My last drink was uh, nine and a half years ago.
1: Wow, nine and a half years ago. Incredible stuff. Let's give listeners information about your background. Tell us your age, where you're from, do you have a family, and
0: what do you like to do for fun, Vinny? Well, I'm uh, 61 years old, just turned 61 a couple of weeks ago. I was born in Bangkok and I spent most of my life uh, out of Thailand. I've only been back here for about 12 years. And as for fun and hobbies, I like to read. I love uh, watching a good TV series. I love going to meetings. Uh, I love talking to people about recovery. I love helping people.
1: And what is your role here at Hope Rehab in Thailand? And number two, if you could summarize, what do you think Hope Rehab's approach on recovery is? Is it a 12 step base? Is it a holistic base? Is it mindfulness base? So take a moment to
0: comment on your role and their approach. Well, my role here at Hope Rehab is I work the weekends, and they probably, they already have a structure of activities, and I basically just oversee all the staff and make sure that everything is done within the structure, make sure that there's nothing that goes out of the boundaries, keep the place calm, keep the place safe. Sometimes there's a bit of um, incidents, some... Uh, upset some trauma, some unresolved issues. Um, I get to talk to the clients directly sometimes if they need that. Uh, If not, basically, I supervise the mechanics of the weekend. And uh, Hope's approach, well, it's kind of a unique approach. I think that the approach basically is primarily, you know, the process, um, the 12 steps is really the basic um, track that uh, most recovery is based on. But Hope does believe in the fact that many people uh, can access recovery in many different ways. So they give people an opportunity to access it uh, either through mindfulness, either through meditation, either through uh, refuge recovery. If you are the traditional 12-stepper, there's a lot of that. So just a whole lot of variety to choose from.
1: And Vinny, I want to give the opportunity to share a version of the story that I heard But before we do that, give us a condensed or summarized version of your story and the nine and a half years away from alcohol.
0: Well, my story is that I discovered alcohol in my late teens. I was a high school student in New Zealand. I'd had alcohol here and there uh, before, but it didn't, didn't quite really catch my imagination. But at 19 years old, a friend of mine invited me to a pub, And for some reason, I was excited to go. For some reason, mind-altering chemicals always fascinated me from a distance. And as soon as I took that half a pint of lager, the world made sense for the first time. And I I was whole, you know, to coin a phrase. Anyway, I continued to use alcohol for 10 years, not daily in the beginning, but eventually daily. And then I discovered marijuana and I drank and smoked marijuana almost daily for the next 10 years, so that's now 20 years. And then I saw somebody put something in a spoon, and then I became a crack addict for about five years. And uh, went to two treatment centers. I had no notion that I had to be fully committed. I thought that they were gonna give me a pill and I was gonna get well. I didn't get clean uh, until uh, 2004. I wasn't in a rehab. Uh, I had hit what they call a bottom. I was uh, literally for a few hours, but I thought it was gonna be longer, uh, homeless in Las Vegas, clueless, homeless, hopeless, answerless. And then I understood what they meant uh, to hit a bottom because I had no more answers. And that was when I got sober the first time. Uh, It didn't last, it lasted three and a half years but uh, this time it's um, nine and a half years now since I've been sober.
1: And Vinny, what do you think the light bulb moment, if you could put one of them on your journey before we get to the talk that I wanna share with the, the audience, if there's been one light bulb
0: moment on this journey, what do you think it's been? I think the light bulb moment was that bottom, you know? I never understood uh, what people meant to surrender. I had uh, tried to understand it intellectually I had tried to understand it in many different ways and uh, people would say things that never made sense to me. They would say, when you stop digging, that's your bottom. Or you can get off the elevator at any time, that's your bottom. When the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. But they were just intellectual concepts and I didn't understand until uh, that day when I was homeless or thought I was going to be homeless for the day when deep down in my heart that uh, there was just no more answers nowhere to hide no more excuses to make just nothing it just got to the point where i'm willing to do anything tell me what to do that was the light bulb moment i didn't know it was a light bulb moment at the time but without that complete surrender for me i would have never embarked on this journey of recovery
1: vinnie i love it in fact i think this is a good segue into your topic into the talk Before you started, I recall you speaking to a couple clients in the room and saying, guys, it can be this simple. It doesn't have to be more complicated than it ever needs to be. And the answer could be, and I'll let you pick it up from
0: here. I think that there's a huge difference between something that's simple and something that's easy. Simple just means that it's not complicated. And I think that for most of us, we think that, uh, you know, something needs to be complicated we need to understand it at a deep level i've always found that people who don't think a lot you know who are not used to to academics and who are uh, the so-called blue-collar type people get this thing this recovery concept so easily and quickly it's the thinkers it's the intellectuals it's the the readers it's the academics that find it virtually impossible to grasp these simple things of, hey, just let go. And uh, um, it was that way for me because I had a very active mind. So it was very, very difficult for me to understand. It had to happen by default, really. Uh, The pain had to get so great and the darkness so deep and the hopelessness so complete that I had to get it that way, the hard way.
1: In your talk, you talk about People that have this, shall we say, it's almost like a low level of degradation or low level of unease in the background. And I think you reference simply just letting go is the best way to to attack this this almost unconscious program of of hey something else needs to happen for me to feel whole which it doesn't make sense that way because our mind's saying look something in the background's not feeling good i need to do x y and z to mitigate that pain to feel to feel more whole to feel content to feel happy and for what i'm hearing in the message that you spread is the way we do that is to to let go now how does that look like on your own journey and how do you get that point across to, to listeners who come to your, to your weekly talk and, and listeners, this is this talk. If you, as you said, I'm here to calm people down. You can hear it in his voice. There's a sense of calm that Vinny has that just tells everybody, look, not everything is
0: going to be okay. Everything already is okay. The thing that really fuels restlessness, irritability, and discontent, to coin the phrase that was in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, is really the unfulfilled longing to fulfill our instinctive needs. You know, each of us, all of us have these instinctive needs uh, to feel whole, to feel worthy, to be on purpose, to have a community around us that we relate to, to have deep connection with one or two people, the intimacy, the need for sex, the need to know that we're going to have our material needs met. And uh, for some reason, for some people, having got the message somehow that one or more of these instinctive needs are not going to be met. And it's an unconscious, unrelenting fear that fuels and drives the pursuit of fulfilling these needs which never can get fulfilled because it's a spiritual need. It is not a material need. It's not something one can get from acquiring more from the outside. So this really is what drives the restlessness. And even if someone were to stop drugs and alcohol for a period of time, unless they really address this restlessness, this unfulfilled uh, instinctive need that is always in the background fueling Uh, unhappiness and discontent one has a very very good chance of perhaps going back to seeking the only relief that, that they had probably ever known which is drugs or alcohol
1: now before we get to the spiritual need which I'm excited to cover more about that shortly talk to us about the thinking mind and how normally when we encounter a problem, we think our way through it. We read, we investigate, we do Google searches, we we contact physicians, doctors, et cetera, and that thinking usually allows us to depart from a problem, to solve the problem. Comment on how
0: the thinking can actually get us into more trouble. Well, for most of us, we don't think very clearly, nor do we see very clearly, um, you know, we, we don't see things as they are, so to speak. We see things as we are. And we're all born with a distorted perception of reality based on our history, based on our judgments, based on our beliefs, based on our hurts, based for some of us, based on our trauma. So we see life through a window and we project uh, our fears onto what we see. So we don't really see what's really out there at all. So that's what in the recovery community we call insanity It's the lack of clarity of being able to see and we act based on the false evidence in front of us and obviously if we are not relating to reality we are always going to make the wrong choices
1: Vinny, in your talk i heard you talk about perception and how a lot of this has to do of our inner view on things which is then mirrored in our external environment. For example, if I'm living internally with a state of fear or lack, that's going to be mirrored in our external environment almost the exact same way. So talk to us how it's important, how we change our perception, maybe ways to change our perception and ways we can be aware
0: that perhaps our perception needs to be changed in the first place. Well, I think that we're the last person to realize that our perception needs to be changed because for all of us, we think that our version of reality is the only reality that there is. And it takes a lifetime, I think, for many of us, of disappointment, of pain, of failure, in order to slowly, slowly become convinced the fact that, hey, maybe we're not seeing reality as it is at all, and that maybe there is an alternate reality. And I think that for drug addicts and alcoholics, you know, we're among the lucky people because uh, once somebody has used so much drugs and alcohol that they are really completely out of their own resources to live in any realistic way at all. Uh, they become open-minded for the first time. Most people are not open-minded. They think they are, but they will hear information, process it through what they already know, and either accept or reject it based on information that they already believe.
1: Vinny, you've been in recovery Yourself for a good amount of time. You've been a staff member here for a while. You've seen a lot. What is perhaps the biggest challenge that someone on this journey is going to? To face, because this isn't easy. I've gone through it myself. It's been an incredibly rewarding journey, but there are times, and I say, "Wow, this thing got real. <laughs> this is difficult." What's the one hurdle? Can you say that for people to become successful in this journey, that they're going to have to
0: face this? I think that, uh, especially for people who have problems with drugs and alcohol they seem to all have this illusion that they have to do it all themselves. That this fancied self-sufficiency is so strong that it is the last thing that anybody is willing to give up. And yet it is the very first thing that you need to give up in order for any recovery to take place, in order for you to become uh, open-minded because without that, we're still processing all new information based on what we already know and uh, either accepting it or not. But with the open mind, for the first time, you are beginning to accept something that you don't even understand. And that really is the turning point that everybody has to reach, that uh, uh, we uh, get to a point of so much desperation and pain that we are willing to take the action that we don't understand. That's the turning point.
1: Earlier, you mentioned we are the lucky people. Now, I feel that everything serves a purpose, including addiction. In fact, Dr. Gabor Mate, he's one of my idols that I've come across on this journey. He he explores how addiction does serve a purpose. Number one, temporarily it alleviates our pain. We found something that helped work. Uh, We found something that helped us feel okay to make it through our environment. Now, I feel there's a bigger picture to what addiction is serving, a bigger purpose going on behind the scenes. And you mentioned earlier a spiritual need. I feel it's this addiction, this process, this intense suffering that we undergo where we exhaust all mental capacities, all ideas. And we reach a moment and we say, I actually can't think. Of anything else to try in fact the gal you heard from last interview her name was Sophie fantastic interview after I think it was 12 or 13 treatment centers her sister was gonna come and pick her up and take her to her 13th or 14th and she said no I've learned everything that I can learn out of a book out of a classroom from a teacher instructor recovery coach physician psychologist therapist you get it she says no and I feel that we are the lucky ones in this regard is then we are almost forced to step on that ledge, turn 180 degrees, put our arms out, and fall into something that we don't understand. That we have to fully trust in something to depart from this, this internal void which might not even be there in the first place. So talk to us about this spiritual need and perhaps how we we are given the best opportunity that someone can have in life to go in this direction and listeners i don't want to divide the audience right now we're not going in a religious direction in this talk um, but more of one where we're trusting in whatever created this universe and it wasn't my mind Vinny, and i know your mind didn't create this and i know a human mind didn't create this something did and i think it's evident that uh, something more is going on behind the scenes. So in the short term, addiction does serve a purpose. We make it through painful moments in life. And number two, I feel there's a greater purpose going on with addiction collectively and both individually. It's pushing us in to an internal flowering of sorts. Just as a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, that's the function that I feel this addiction is, is is pushing us towards. What do you have to comment on this, Vinny?
0: Let me answer the question this way, and me too, I really don't want to sound religious at all. Uh, I know that it is a, uh, a deterrent for many, many people for good reasons. But throughout man's history, you know, there have always been one storyline that there is a path, there is a way, and one is most happy when one is in line with that path call it uh we were born with a certain nature and if we follow that nature then we're happy you know it's it's just another law really and religion and spirituality some 600 years ago was really the same word it really meant experiential knowledge of connection that's all it means then after the advent of the printing press i believe when words were taken out of context then religion just became a system of steps so that you can get to the experiential knowledge but a lot of people got stuck and religion then became a belonging system us against them a tribal system uh... and it lost its value so the new word that came to replace it was spirituality which was experiential knowledge now just to get back to the fact that there is a path uh... we don't know there is a path we think that the path is what we think it ought to be that if we were only to fulfill our instinctive needs we would be happy and for the drug addicts and alcoholics I say we're lucky because we are forced to abandon that illusion that we have run out of a room of self-sufficiency of trying to run way a uh, life the way we think it ought to be done driven by our own determination and our own strength and to finally say hey you know what I give up tell me what to do and you don't have to be religious. All one needs is three ingredients in order to live a spiritual life. The first one is you have to be completely, completely honest with yourself. The second thing is that you have to rely on something other than self. The self is so distorted in its perception that uh, you need something a little bit firmer. Uh, It could be a group of people that are meeting together and discussing things and coming up with a solution, but it has to be something other than self. And the third thing that you would need is you would need to live on spiritual principles, or in other words, to live objectively rather than subjectively. Because if if one were to live subjectively, here again, one is obeying the distorted perception of reality. But if one were to live objectively, then we are living closer to the path, which, as I said, is the path that's already there. You know, it's like anything else, like the law of nature. If you jump from a, from a tree, you fall down, that's the law of gravity. And the law of uh, the spirit is the same. When you go against your innate goodness, you feel bad, you feel guilty. It's the same thing.
1: Vinny, let's talk about addiction in general for a second. Here at Hope, you've got a snapshot of people from all across the globe. I know I've personally met people from seven or eight different countries here. It's, you, you get a little bit of everything. So what do you think addiction is? Where do you think it comes from? And, 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 and let's just answer that. I was gonna back on another question on there, which I'm really good at doing, but what do you think it is? And where do you think it comes from?
0: First of all, Yeah, there are many, many people from all over the world. But one thing I found out is that, you know, when one speaks the language of addiction, when one speaks the language of the heart, the funny thing is that we're all the same. We're all the same. And where does addiction come from? I don't know. I don't know. And it doesn't matter. You know, Uh, we used to think that if we understood it, if we understood our mind and where it came from, we would be able to arrest or even cure addiction. That has never happened. We just we just say, hey, we just accept that we do not have the ability to choose whether we're going to drink or not or drug or not, and we get to the point that we accept that it just is, and we can start from there. There are many many great theories about addiction. Uh, they're probably uh, true to some extent, but to my mind, it doesn't matter.
1: I absolutely love how you said it doesn't matter we can meet with therapists counselors weekly daily and we get a full snapshot of our life but it's never going to bring us up to right now it's everything that's happened in the past and i don't want to downplay or minimize anything that happened in the past doesn't have effect on us right now but eventually we're going to come up with the most powerful concept of all time which is this present moment and that's where any type of wholeness, any type of happiness, any type of inner peace can ever be felt. Now, one of my favorite spiritual teachers is Eckhart Tolle, and he says, let the past die, and let the past die hard. How important is it, Vinny? is it to, to let the past go? Because I love how you said, it doesn't really matter where your addiction came from, or addiction overall in general, because we could spend a lot of time on that, but that's not going to address where we're not at and where we're not at is in this moment when we're constantly looking in the rear view mirror and it's tempting to look in the rear view mirror. And there are times we do need to access the past to make a better informed decision for right now, but those times are short, they're brief in moments. So talk to us about how important it is to be grounded and bring our mental energies into this moment that we're having right now, Vinny.
0: I think that um, how to be in the present moment, and by the way, the present moment in the old spiritual language, which I never understood for years, is everlasting life. I used to think that it meant you lived forever, but it means the present moment. It means timelessness. And I think that we can go back and get some clues from St. Francis's prayer. You know, he said that, Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about other people and start helping them because at the end of the day, the problem is self-obsession, you know, that is the illness, that is the disease, that is the very crux of it, Uh, I'm not much but I'm all I think about or I'm, I'm a big shot at them all I think, whatever it is, I'm all I think about. And uh, in order to reverse that, you know, you start thinking about other people and their needs. And that takes away the self-obsession and it also creates that self-love that we um, found so elusive that we'd spent all of our lives trying to find validation from outside. Uh, What one needs to do instead is to basically show acts of giving and kindness and love with an open hand without expecting anything in return. And another thing that uh, will allow us to uh, be in the present moment more and more is basically is to analyze the way we've been, you know, um, in um, the 12th step, it's the fourth step. You begin to see those things that you did that didn't work. Uh, Maybe... Uh, people-pleasing just so that people could validate you so that I could feel self-esteem. Maybe uh, I was afraid that things wouldn't go my way so the behavior might be controlling and trying to make all the decisions myself. When we can identify all of those less than optimum coping strategies and we let them go. We let them go with the help of Uh, people around us, we let them go with the help of willful determination, and we let them go, and you don't have to believe this, you let them go by just asking whatever is out there to help you release it. And some people do it on their knees, it helps them, because uh, when the body shows signs of humility, uh, it changes the mind as well. Uh, So prayer uh, is what I'm talking about, really isn't about changing the universe's mind at all, it's about changing our mind.
1: Vinny, let's talk about loving oneself. I've yet to meet somebody who has been successful in addressing their addiction or drinking problem, who hasn't gone toe to toe with self-loathing. And I've heard it in my in my in my eight to nine days here at Hope Rehab, come up several times. And the more honest ones in some of these group sessions have said, "You know what? I I hate myself." Talk about how this needs to be addressed. And the only place it can be addressed is within. And maybe comment on why self-loathing is such a big part of this, this journey and maybe ways that we can depart from that or to address it.
0: Well, self-loathing in the language of psychology is shame. Shame. I'm just not enough. You know, and the theory, which seems plausible, says that uh, if you didn't get your needs met as a child then the child says hey the only person i can control is me so it must be my fault so then i need to be something other than what i am in order to get what i need so it may have started there but the shame is that i'm not enough we cannot create self-love out of a vacuum just to go back to what i said earlier we create self-love by showing loving acts towards." Other people and also to constantly take care of ourselves first what is it that I need right now what is it that I want right now and have the courage to not think of oneself as being self-absorbed or selfish but to healthily take care of yourself first but also balance that out with giving without expecting anything in return and constantly helping other people that need help in a healthy and a balanced way That is the strategy that can uh, put you on a path to self-love. And as you become more real without pretense, as you can show your true face, and as you begin to see the mirroring eyes of people that love you anyway, which is what we always thought wouldn't happen, then we begin to believe slowly by slowly that we are worthy, that we are lovable. That's why we need to recover among other people and not alone.
1: When you say we need to recover around other people and not alone, you are speaking the the truth on this podcast. You've heard me say that several times, listeners. In fact, you've heard me say this, the opposite of addiction is connection. Talk to me about how important that is, the connection, the accountability, the community, and how we say it is to burn the ships Burn the ships, A, internally. It's got to it's happen right now. In fact, you had three things earlier. Um, I think that was about the spiritual path, but the first one was honesty. And so talk to us about honesty and how important it is to burn the ships. Number one, with yourself internally and say, look, this is what it is without going into the past and trying to label it in a different way. This is what it is. And then burning the ships, getting honest
0: with others sometimes we are not even aware that we're not honest with ourselves Uh, but there are things in us that we feel that is just so petty so small so shameful that we really don't want to expose it you know so we create a persona a mask that is more acceptable to the outside world if only people would see me as i really see myself then they wouldn't value me and and that is a fear that all addicts have, and that's why they create this mask. And the self-honesty is just, you know, come clean with the pettiness, with the vengeful thoughts, with the vengeful acts, with, with, with the dishonesty, no matter how small, and just tell somebody about it. And it's very, very important uh, to uh, choose the right person to hear it somebody who's not there to re condemn you or re recriminate you, but somebody who might laugh at you and say, <laughs> Hey, man, is that all you did? You know, it turns that I'm unworthy, that I'm defective, that. I'm shameful into just, hey, I made a mistake and that is the, and that is the most essential uh, change that one needs to make. And once that change is made, we can stop the behavior because guilt is just that I made a mistake. If, it's, uh, if it stays stuck at shame, which is I am a mistake, not much can be done. So self-honesty turns from shame, turns shame into guilt.
1: Vinny, I've mentioned on this podcast that field research or a relapse often happens, takes place well before we take that drink. And what are some common pitfalls that you see that people or maybe action they're not taking? Um, For example, I, I, I say on this podcast, the three most dangerous words somebody can say are, I got this. I know when I personally said that. Uh, I was doing field research shortly after. Now, there's nothing wrong to feeling confident on this journey, but double-check where that I got this is coming from because 9 out of 10 times when it's coming from the brain, and I'm going to venture out and say 10 out of 10 times it's coming from the brain, you probably don't got this. But at times when there's the heart and the gut and the soul, say, you know what, we're feeling good right now, that's a different story, that's a different narrative. And um, so what are some common pitfalls that you see that when people leave here that they, don't, they might not stay true to their goal, their inner declaration to stay away from alcohol?
0: For most of us who use drugs and alcohol, head knowledge is easy. Heart knowledge is not as easy and it's very, very slow. And heart knowledge cannot be sped up, you know. I was confused about this and I asked somebody a long time ago, well what do you mean Hard knowledge just takes time? And he said, how old was Einstein when he was eight? And, you know, as smart a man as a kid as Einstein might have been, you know, he was just an eight-year-old kid. And he needed to be 20-year-old to be uh, 20 years old. And he needed to be 30 in order to be 30. And that's the same thing with, uh, with emotional maturity. It takes time. Time takes time. And... Uh, People misunderstand the intellectual knowledge for heart knowledge. And as addicts, once we take the drugs and alcohol away from our body for about six weeks, uh, we feel so, so much better that we confuse and misunderstand the fact that our head knowledge and our feeling good is not recovery at all, that the heart knowledge and that the instinctive go-to tool of going back to the drugs and alcohol when we're uncomfortable takes a really really long time to unlearn or relearn not to go to and what causes relapse i think is that people stop doing the things that they were willing to do in desperation in their first month you know i know for me i was uh... doing all these things uh... um... very vigilantly for about two and a half years and in the third year i stopped saying things like oh it's too i'm too tired to go to a meeting or or um i don't need to call my sponsor you know and in and uh, in three and a half years i went uh i drove to ampm picked up a can of fosters didn't even get home cracked it right in my car and drank it and uh i just stopped doing what i did in the first year pretty much that's all not complicated and to uh actually get the idea that it might be these simple things but we do it continuously and vigilantly we might not have to go to uh as many meetings uh in our third year as we did in the first year or talk to our sponsors as often or work as uh, as many hours on uh, writing or those things but once we just think that I got this, it's, it's the same idea, I got this, uh, I'm okay now after three years. Um, if indeed one has an addictive disease or alcoholism, uh, you can call it whatever you want. It is a chronic uh, mental state whereby one just gets negative unless one treats it on a continuous basis.
1: Now, Vinny, I did an episode 20 or 30 ago that said this is the most controversial word in AA, and in fact, the authors use it several times. That's recovered in the past tense. And do you feel like somebody can recover and even become recovered?
0: Well, I uh, I think that the word recovered, if I'm not mistaken, was, uh, the full sentence was that we are now recovered from a seemingly Uh, hopeless condition of mind and body, and that is true, that is true. If you want to use that word to mean that at this moment, I have no symptoms of restlessness, irritability, discontent, I'm content, I don't want to use drugs or alcohol, I see a bottle of booze, and I have absolutely no desire at all whatsoever. If you want to use that word as recovered, uh, you can. Recovered for this moment, you can. But if recovered means that I'm cured, I don't think to my mind that is not the case because this condition of addiction or alcoholism uh, is a chronic illness. uh, If you indeed you have it. And if you stop doing the simple things on a daily basis, uh, you may be recovered, but in not so long, the restlessness, irritability and discontent will come back. And for many people, If they don't do anything immediately, they have a very high likelihood of going back to drugs and alcohol. That's what relapse is all about.
1: Vinny, before we hit the rapid fire round, and you're not getting out of the rapid fire round, my friend, everybody goes through it. With nine and a half years sobriety, what is something you're working on right now on your
0: journey? Well, I'm one of those guys that are uh, oversensitive. You know, I see things that aren't there. So... I ask a lot of people around me and they just laugh. Oh, that's the Vinny head. And it's quite a bit of a joke with my sponsor. And I take hard feedback, you know, without getting defensive. And I work on a plan of action. And sometimes if it's uncomfortable, then it is for now. You know, Uh, it's really the oversensitivity that that I'm working on. That I do not believe uh, what my head tells me because my perception is distorted. Uh, so i check my reality with other people and work on a plan of action and i must tell you that it's gotten a lot better
1: all right Vinny. rapid fire round we're going to ease into this slowly what's your favorite non-alcoholic drink
0: it's probably pepsi cola you know not not the coca cola pepsi cola i used to love that drink on ice
1: Vinny, i was a, I was a pepsi guy too Until I lined up, I did a test. I put the sugar cubes next to the can one time. This is like eight years ago. Yeah, way too much sugar. Next question, Vinny. What is a memorable
0: moment that a life without alcohol has provided you? Well, you know, one of the best times I've had is in recent years. Right here at my job, here at Hope. Maybe on a a Saturday afternoon or, or, or a Sunday evening when 30 different early recovering people are just all just so connected with each other. There's just this energy, this connection, and everybody is just really getting a preview of the life that can be. And I feel a part of it. I feel connected to it. That is a joy. And Vinny, what's
1: some of the best advice you've ever received?
0: Don't take yourself too seriously.
1: Amen, Brother Vinny. And what parting piece of advice can you give to listeners who are
0: thinking about ditching the booze? Take responsibility for yourself. I think this has been said millions of times. You know, we're not responsible for the fact that we're unwell. We are responsible to get well. That is our responsibility. Take responsibility and you will get well.
1: And then I got one more question. This is how we close out all the podcast episodes. I ask listeners to give us their own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line. This can be funny. This can be serious. For example, look for mine, but you might need to ditch the booze if after a night of drinking you go to a golf driving range, still 500 golf balls. And forget to close the trunk on your car door. And then when you drive home, the golf balls spill out. And the police, all they have to do is follow the trail of golf balls to your house. True story. I needed to ditch the booze. So Vinny, give us your own customized you might need to ditch the booze if line.
0: Well, uh, you might need to ditch the booze if you are a healthcare provider. And uh, you are taking care of uh, somebody who needs you and you've run out of booze at 3 o'clock in the morning, and you abandon him, and you go and get booze because you desperately need it. You need to ditch that booze.
1: Vinny, let me check. Yeah, that one works. (laughs) Vinny, thank you so much for being on the Recovery Elevator podcast. I've absolutely loved your story. Thank you so much
0: for joining us. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Where do thoughts come from? The Buddha said, To remove the arrow, the thought, or suffering generated from the mind, and not worry about where the arrow came from in regards to our thoughts. So it is said that many thoughts, or all thoughts, come from the collective mind, and none of them are yours in the first place. They are energy fields, energetic entities, almost like energy bubbles. That's why at one moment you're thinking about what to eat for dinner, and then the next moment you're thinking of your favorite Golden Girls rerun. So you are basically like a walking satellite. You, the human being, you're able to detect over 13.1 megabits of information per millisecond. And these are all things coming from the collective consciousness, including thoughts. So the next time you experience a series or sequence of negative thoughts, as the Buddha says, simply remove the arrow, become extremely conscious of the unconscious self. And also, there's no need to pollute the collective conscious mind do your best not to throw out negativity or toxicity into this collective consciousness. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. I love you guys.